Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and you know what we're doing, right? I mean, you should know. But, you know, every listener is a first-time listener. So, for those who don't know, Living Corporate is a platform that centers and amplifies black and brown forces at work. And I say that we're a platform and not a podcast because if you go to our website, living-corporate.com or livingcorporate.co or livingcorporate.us or .tv or .org or .net. Anyway, if you go to our website, um, what you'll see is a whole grid of podcasts, interviews um, that have been categorized by industry and theme. And you also see a lot of blogs, right? You'll also see webinars. And so it's all searchable because it's all been transcribed. So we really consider ourselves more like a database of thought leadership for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what makes us unique even beyond that is that we center black and brown people, not only in our topics, but in our dialogue when the people we speak to, right? So we've been blessed to have incredible guests. And uh, today is no different. We have the great Mary Frances Winters. Now, this is not the first time that you've heard Mary Frances. If you haven't heard Mary Frances Winters before on Living Corporate, you need to get familiar, okay? So we're going to have all of her links and stuff in the show notes, but uh, Mary Frances, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate being here. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, your platform is absolutely amazing. When I walk in the morning, I listen to Living Corporate. So y'all need to be listening because you do have some incredible, amazing guests. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, you know, you're, you're, you are you are leading. You are the vanguard in the vanguard. So I appreciate you. So let, let's get started. Right. Like give me a summary of this moment. Right. Let's let's start at George Floyd's murder. Breonna Taylor's murder. Tony McDade's murder up to now. And, and and when I say now, we're recording this in July. So kind of talk to me about how, how you would summarize what we're going through right now. Of course, not just as a black woman, which you are, but also as a as a leader in this workplace equity space. Yeah, thank you for that space. And so it is um, July and it is July 18th. And I just want to um, recognize that we lost um, a giant um, yesterday, um, John Lewis and 
uh, and actually two giants, the C.T. Vivian, both um, really vanguards in the civil rights movement. And so when I think about them and I think about now, I think about the struggle, you know, in the 60s and the, in the 70s. And, you know, John Lewis was um, jailed, you know, 40 times and, you know, hit in the, bashed in the head and you know, all of the things that he went through. But still, you know, he, he rose and, and his voice was so loud. And so when I juxtapose that to, you know, what's going on now, I say, wow, you know, then is now. And so the, and he was 23 years old, right? And so we see the young activists um, out there right now who are saying, you know, enough is enough. And I think the confluence of coronavirus and people uh, dying of that and people, you know, dying in the streets of all sorts of, of other, you know, thing, you know, dying at the hands of police, right? Just It's just a time when I think it was the confluence of these events that said, you know, enough is enough and we are not going to have it anymore. And what really was surprising to me, you know, I've been doing this work for 36 years now, so I'm, you know, getting up there myself, but one of the things that was so really surprising to me is that white folks were saying, we didn't know. We didn't know that racism still, you know, existed in America. We didn't know that it was that bad. And so, you know, clients are coming out the woodwork. We have to do anti-racism training. And we have to do it yesterday. We got to do it right now. And I know some of your other guests have been saying that too. But And I guess maybe I'm naive that I'm like, y'all, we've been telling you this. At least I've been telling you this for 36 years. And we've been talking about this for over 400 years. And you, you didn't know? I had, you know, corporate CEOs, I've been doing town halls where they have 15,000, you know, people on the virtual town hall. And the CEO of major corporations will say, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know. And that's just blowing my mind that people are saying they didn't know. (laughs) So let me let me ask you. So (laughs) let's pause there because I have more questions about this moment. But when you hear folks say that they didn't know, how do you digest that? Well, I digest that is that you didn't want to know that you didn't care to know, but you really did know. You just blocked it. You just, it wasn't important to you. Um, you know, so when, even when we, you know, let's go back to the 2016 election and usually wonder, well, how, how, how did that happen? You know, how did we get Trump? And, right. and you know, it's obvious that he's, you know, a racist, a sexist, a, you know, homophobe, all of those things, right? I mean, he just, he just says it. But then when you have to think about it, it's like, that's better than the chance of having anybody, you know, another black person, another woman. And, and so you just you, you just see it. You just see that the racism is just so deep. Um, and I think that, you know, those white people who are uh, advocating for diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, you know, those are all soft code words, right, for we just really want the status quo. But I don't think I know that people knew it we do we do trainings and they say when i I give some statistics right and and i'll say you know 1954 brown versus board of education uh made segregated schools you know illegal 2019 headline schools are still just as segregated just as unequal public schools and people i I say what 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 statistics surprised you well the one about the school surprised me come on now that's in the news all the time right? right um so you just you just tune it out it's not um you know, so white supremacy, you don't have to know about it. You don't have to care about it. It doesn't have to be a part of what you think about until folks start burning stuff down. And now all of a sudden, people are saying, how do I be an ally? You know, how do I how do I come forward? And so I make sense of all of that. You ask me how I make sense of all of that. And I just say, shame on you. You know, shame on you. But when you look throughout history... That's the only way we get people's attention. Violence is the only way to get people's attention. Rebellion is the only way to get people's attention. And I think it's just so intellectually dishonest that we don't have those conversations. I remember back in like 2016, I was having a conversation 
with some colleagues at work, one of whom happens to be a really good friend of mine now. Like we're very close. Um, mm -hmm. But I was the only black man at the table, only black person at the table. Uh, we were talking about protests because there were some uh, protests happening in Baltimore at the time um, due to the, the murder of uh, Freddie Gray. Right. As you know, like it's become like a established uh, line of argumentation around protests and the history of protests in this country. But I, I just like like very plainly was just like, look, like if you look at like America and like the formation of America and like really like the sorts of all of the policies that we have, they all come from violence. And they were like, well, not really. I was like, no, it's true. I said beyond just the Boston Tea Party, like if you go back and you look at like there's a, a lot there were a lot of labor riots and protests that sparked a lot of the labor laws that we have and the civil rights laws. I mean, when you think about pride, pride was started through protests of a, uh, started by a black trans woman. So like, but, but my point is like, I just don't think that we're being honest when we say that peace is the answer, quote unquote, when for good or for bad, that just is not the language. That is not the means by which we affect change in America. And it's not the means by which America helps affect change around the world for good or bad. So I, I don't understand Beyond y'all just and when I say y'all, I mean, like the powers that be beyond those who are in charge, just simply trying to manufacture or uh, maintain control. There's that's just not honest. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not true. No, it's it, it's not honest. It's not. And, and when I, we do a little history thing now that we're, we're doing um, in part, part of our um, sessions that we do, because folks just claim they don't know American history, period. Right. And black history is obviously a part of American history, but they don't know it or, or you know, or they, you know, suppress it or, or it's OK. You know, it's okay for white folks to ask for justice or, or to, to demand justice through violence. It's just not okay, you know, for black people, you know, to, to do so. That's what I take from that. You know, we can do it. You know, I mean, we saw it with, um, you know, the um, not wanting to wear masks and the storming of the Michigan State House, right? Mm -hmm. And they were all armed, right? And no, right. no police came at all, right? Nobody came. I was like, I was nobody like, came. You know, you know what was wild about that is when I saw that picture, I literally was like, oh, is this some type of like art installation? Because I was like, there's no way. I was, I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around what I was looking at because it was just like it didn't make any sense. Consider, I said, first of all, y'all don't have, y'all not wearing masks, y'all. Right. Y'all got wild guns in there, and I, I can see y'all got clips, and y'all got those are loaded guns. So, what, what is this? You know what I mean? So, so to your point though, like I, I would like to talk about, you know, how do you manage your own mental and emotional well being during this time? You're having, first of all, you know, we're in a time right now we're surrounded by death, and specifically we're surrounded by predominantly uh, black and brown death, but we're sound, but everybody's dying. You got police killing people from every <laughs> ethnic group and which is insane. You have uh, the coronavirus uh, impacting the death counts at this point in time. Like the last number I saw was like 135,000 people. Um, and you're seeing all of this in media and social media every single day. So like you have that element of just as a person, as an, as an American, and as a black woman. So there's there's that piece. But I'm also curious about the work that you do. Like, it seems as if this would be exhausting to manage. And you've been I know that you've been doing it for uh, 30 plus years. But I'm just curious about what does it look like for you not to be burdened down with that? I have to be honest, it, it, it is truly a burden. I'm tired. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. And, um, you know, you know, my book is coming out um, in September 15th, Black Fatigue, How Racism Erodes the Mind, Body and Spirit. And I think that I've never felt black fatigue um, more than I'm feeling it now. 
I'm feeling it because, you know, in some ways I feel I feel helpless, um, even though, you know, we get accolades about, you know, this this was so helpful, you know, um, you know, thank you for helping me. So I'm feeling like, you know, and I learned so much from millennials and from the Gen Z's who are saying, you know, hey, we need to rest. You know, rest is a form of resistance and it's not our job to, to teach white people. When I first heard that and I wrote about that, and you know, what really sparked me to write the book Black Fatigue were you all young folks who are saying, wait a minute, we got to have a different model. You know, uh, we're tired. We're exhausted. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you That's know, true. and and I'm like, I was like, what? With y'all, thirty years old? How y'all be exhausted already, right? <laughs> and they would look at me like, you know, that that side eye, like, wait a minute, I don't. You, 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 we respect you now. You're older, but don't be telling me <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. fatigued. Right. <laughs> fatigued because I, I know I know tired when I when I see tired. Right. 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 And and so yes, yeah, so through a, a colleague, I talked to Andrew Young, and and we asked him about fatigue. So when you when you all you know in the '60s, did y'all have fatigue? And he said no. He said we didn't. Even, fatigue wasn't the word we used. He said I used to get migraine headaches, and he said. Dr. King would tell me, you know, uh, would tell me, you get on that plane, the headache will go away once you get on the plane. He said, so we, so even though, so even though we were tired, you know, James Baldwin talks about being tired, right? Talk, they, they talk about it, but it wasn't in such a way that, you know, that we were going to do something about it. That, so, but now what you all are saying is we're going to do something about it. You know, we're going to rest. We're going to take, you know, self-care. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, pretty strong Christian. And yes. those songs like, you know, I don't feel no ways tired, right? You know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> mm, you yes. know and I'm saying, yeah, I do. I feel, you know, I, I, I do feel tired. So I think that, um, I think that it is, imp- and I'm learning. I'm, I think that it is important to set those boundaries. I think that it is important to, um, to just say no. And I, I have not been able to in the business. Let me tell you, been in business for 36 years, have not been able to say no because as a black woman in business, and we we know we've seen this with the with the coronavirus, with the with the loans, the PPP loans, pay, right. payroll protection loans, that small black businesses were not necessarily able to get the loans. Right. So I didn't I didn't have a real strong relationship with a bank, even though I'm a multi-million dollar company, because banks have not done me well over the years. I've I've been screwed by banks. Okay. So when the PPP loan came out, I didn't have a strong relationship with a bank, right? Yeah. Not not a bank that was a, but I had, a, but I knew a brother at a bank, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I went to the brother at the bank. He said, "Don't worry, I got you," right? Because all my stuff was in order. I knew my stuff was going to be in order. But but the, the you know the the point being that um you know it it is tiring. It 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 has been tiring. It has been fatiguing. And you know and I'm learning from uh, you know you know you know Brittany J Harris on my team. And I'm learning from from people like Brittany who are saying you know Mary Frances we got to put some boundaries around this. We don't yeah. need to take all of the business that comes along. And you know this sense of urgency which is a part of the white supremacy culture. Right. Everybody needs to do something tomorrow. And you know, I just jump through hoops for a potential client just jumped through hoops. I worked last weekend, got the proposal, da, 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 da. And then he said, well, you know, I got these, these two other people on the board and they were two white people, right? So I just learned yesterday, oh, we're going to go with somebody else who said that they could do the work immediately. Uh, I said that we could do the work immediately. That's why we got the proposal into you. But anyway, it's the, the point is, is that I have to learn. So I, I have mm. to learn to put boundaries on myself. And the reason that I've done this over the years is because when I left the corporate world some 36 years ago, they said, that I heard through the grapevine, oh, let her go. She'll be back anyway. She's not going to make it. And so my, I have always, it's always been for me, I am not going to go groveling back to a corporate job because I couldn't make it on my own. So I, you know, I think we, we, the drive, I think we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves because it's like, I got to make it. I, I can't fail. Right. I think that's because right. It's, it's, hey, it's taking its toll. You know, in the book Black Fatigue, I talk about, you know, um, 
racism literally makes us sick. And uh, it, it does. You know, it's interesting because I think about my own life, right? Like, so before I was like, explicitly doing diversity, equity, inclusion, like through living corporate and also in, in certain parts and elements of my job now as a consultant, I think about just how exhausting it is just to just to experience it, right? Like just to just to experience being marginalized, otherized, isolated, excluded um, and like the, the, the impacts it has. Like, you know, that's not that's not me even speaking out against it. That's just me experiencing it. You know what I mean? And so right. then like to compound it by you trying to speak up to an audience that will treat you as hostile or in certain certain instances, I believe gaslight you into thinking that this isn't real. It, it becomes a challenge. Let's talk. Let's let's continue to talk about about black fatigue as it pertains to uh, you showing up in spaces as a black woman doing this work. Like there's been like a collective pushback against this work in this space. Right. So you've seen there's been some articles that have released about uh, Dr. Robin D'Angelo. We've seen some stuff that come out about Howard Ross. Like we've seen we, we're seeing like a, a pushback right now. Like we're just really just the start of it, frankly, against this work in this season. And I'm curious to know, like, what does it look like for you to protect yourself as you do this work uh, and, and, and someone who continues to do this work? Yeah, and so I would say the pushback is already, <laughs> you know, so we because we had this uh, really swift kind of, oh, we need to do this work, right? We need to do anti-racism, because corporations have not been doing anti-racism work. Let's face it, they've been doing diversity work, which, you know, puts everybody, you know, in, in the bucket, and we've got to, and I've been told many, 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 many times, let's not talk too much about race, Mary Frances. We can't make this too much about race. We've got to make this about, you know, diversity is more than just about race. We're hearing that already. Clients are saying, um, you know, they want us to come in and talk about race and just got an email from a client and said, well, are you going to talk about the other isms? And I, I went back, I said, no, because you all ask us to talk about racism. And so there's never been a point in time in this work that I've been doing this work where race can have its own place. Race can have its own discussion. And why? You know, as Dr. Robin D'Angelo says, you know, you know, white fragility, white, white people are uncomfortable. If I've heard uncomfortable I've heard that word uncomfortable. If I had $100, maybe I wouldn't be a rich woman, but at least I would be wealthier than I am if I had $100 for every time I've heard in the last six weeks, we are uncomfortable talking about race. So they were uncomfortable, you know, been uncomfortable. And so when I come into a space as a black woman, I have felt like that I have had to disarm people, make sure that they know that I'm going to talk about all the other kinds of, you know, isms and diversity um, make sure that they know that diversity is everybody and that white men are in the equation when we talk about diversity. So I'll say things like if you have two people in the room and they're both white men, you still have diversity. They might be of different age group. They might come from a different geography. Right, and right. so making white people feel comfortable. This is what I feel that I have to do as a black woman because I have been accused of talking too much about race even when I don't even talk about race. I did a generational session a few years ago, and some of the feedback was, well, she talked a lot about race. I looked back at the deck, Zach, ain't one nothing about race at all. <laughs> I didn't even go there. I mean, I didn't even go there to say, you know, if you're a black millennial, you know, if you're, or if you're a, you know, black baby boomer, or, you know, I, I didn't even, I didn't even go there. But just my presence, just my, just my existence, my presence as a black person made them say that I talked about race. So as a black woman doing, doing this work, I have felt, you know, and I'll be real honest, 
honest with you, I've been jealous of people like Howard Rustin, tall, you know, white man. Mm-hmm. And I've been told, I have been told, you know, we, we, we went with Howard Ross because we think that um, our white leaders will hear the message from him better than they will hear the message from a black woman. Mm. Yeah, many, many times. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you this story. Please. I had a call one day. I didn't know who this person was, you know, picked up the phone. She, she, she said, you, you don't know who I am. And she said, but I've been, I've worked at she said, three different companies in the diversity space. And she said, your company's name comes up all the time. And people talk very well about your work. And they talk about, about you know, the fact that you're, you know, leading edge and that you, you know, push. And they also said, however, we can't hire the Winters Group because our leaders are not ready for a black person, black woman business to come in and give them this message. She said, I just wanted you to, to know this. She said, because I, I know that I want you to know that your work is really not in vain. However, you're not getting hired. That's why you're, if you want to know why you're not getting the proposals, not getting selected, that's why you're not getting selected. That probably about 10 years ago. It's really interesting how that then shapes like these individual actions, they, they, they tie into then like greater, larger systemic problems because so then you don't get picked up for work. So like, like, so then like you got to think about like the consequence of that. So you put your name out there, your thought leadership out there, you're clearly established in this space. Um, you don't get picked up for work. You're not getting hired. So then you don't get certain logos attached to the winner's group. So then over time, even though, I'm, and I'm, again, the winner's group is of course, extremely respected. There are certain logos that the winner's group doesn't have. And then people then question the very, um, competence or authenticity of the winners group because well they they didn't go to so and so well they didn't get this work and it's like it just it, it's like it kind of feeds into itself right like you end up right and so that's that's frustrating that's, I, I don't well know. and here's the other thing here's yeah. the other thing that happens with it is is so you know i want to be able to pay people what they're worth right and so if i'm not getting the contracts or feeling that okay i've got to lowball this in order to get in right um because i i hear about what some of my you know white colleagues in this work are making and i'm telling you i can't ask for that money and I'd still, even today, with what's going on, everybody's scrambling to try to try to get the, the business, which they still come back and say, well, can you give us a discount? We don't have that in, in, in our budget. And I'm wondering, do they ask for that same kind of thing with some of my, my other, you know, colleagues? Maybe they do. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. But the point being is that it has this ripple effect, you know, so no, no, we don't have the big low. We are getting the big logos now. So we do, you know, we, we're working with some of the big, we're working with the big ones, but it took, it took 30 some years to get there. Right. And it took, you know, the books, you know, we can't talk about that at work. And, you know, this new book I have coming out next week, Inclusive Conversations. And so that gives you some cachet. Oh, she's written a book. Oh, right. Um, so, but, but yeah, but so, so it, it impacts, you know, how I'm able to compensate. And so who I can, you know, I, I attract people who have a passion for this work, right? Um, but am I able to pay and compensate at the level if we're not, you know, so we're getting there. I mean, so I, I don't want this to be a, a whole complaint kind of a thing, but I just want the listeners to understand how the system works and that, and, and we know this, that we're asked more often to do stuff for free. And let me yeah. tell you that for years, for years, I did it. I did it to get the exposure. Well, you, but you know, and here's the thing. It's, and I, I, people have been talking about it on Twitter, but I'm for real. Like, the people that ask for my time or ask me to do things, and like, and like and don't get me wrong, like, I will do things for free. Like, there are certain things that I, like, you know, if you, especially, frankly, if you're like black or brown owned and you ask me to kind of show up to your webinar or you know, contribute to a piece or even give you feedback on something or take a call. Like I can do that. But 
I've noticed I've taken a few calls with folks who are they are attached to money. OK. And they ask me for like 30 minutes of my time. And I'm like, that's consulting. You're asking mm-hmm. me for consulting. Right. And then I'll see those same right. people who hit me up. Take my advice and go do it with somebody else. And I'm like, wait. Right. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Right. And you hear your advice. You hear you say, wait a minute. I, I told him that. I right? told you that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. You want me to review this document? You want me to review this huge thing you have? It took me, you know, half a day or a couple hours, whatever. And then right. you take it. I don't hear nothing from you, but then I see you post something. I'm like, what is what is right. this? So, yeah. so I'm, I'm right there with you. I think and I think it's wild that even in right, like even right now, right, even right now, people are asking for free work. Oh, yeah. Even right now, they absolutely are. And, you know, what I'm learning and, and you know, you, your generation to me is just like you are you are just this new voice, the, the new the new activists that are saying, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, we're not doing it for free. You know, and even now I'm hearing, you know, uh, advocating for those in corporations who are part of the employee resource groups or leading res- employee resources. And they're doing that in addition to their job, you know, saying um, y'all need to pay folks for that. You know, y'all need to compensate folks, oh, and that, no, that's, that's really new. that's that's new stuff for me. Well, here's the thing, but I and I'm 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 in that I'm heavy in that camp because this all that black ERG like right now, right? So you see these companies, what they're doing, I say this this is the thing they don't think that we we're hip to the game. This is what they do. Okay, so these organizations will have these like my my wife calls them uh, heart circles. Where you, <laughs> <laughs> you come together, you come together. And some white folks who have been harming black people in your organization for years um, facilitate a conversation where let's have it. Let's sit down and have a conversation about race. Let's, let's have a courageous conversation. So then these black people come up and they start crying and sharing all the ways that they've been hurt and harmed. And then the token black or brown person or white adjacent person that they've you know put as the overseer over all the sad black people. They all nod. We hear you. No, this is hard. But, you know, today was good. You know, and they'll say something like. You know, but this is the first step. We got to continue going. Right. And what they do is they then like pull all of that, all of that pain and trauma that y'all have, that these black folks have shared with these white people that don't care. And then they take that and then they make a white paper on it and they put it on the website and they use it as marketing collateral to sell diversity and inclusion work. That's what they do. Right. Absolutely. And then the other Absolutely. thing, then the other thing that they do, <laughs> the other thing that they do is they'll take, um, they'll take like um, these uh, employee resource groups. And they will set up these employee resource groups as um, beacons of uh, collective, uh, you know, sameness, whatever relative, the, whatever the relative sameness is. But really what they're trying, what they're really trying to do now, my old pastor would say they really trying to denigify niggas, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say that they um, the goal is uh, to uh, drive assimilation. Right. So they want these they want these non-white groups to be more non-white or if you're not going to be white, at least be not white over there. Right. Group yourselves over there and stop being stop, you know, blocking up our space with all of your not whiteness. But then they also use these groups as kind of like uh, free labor innovation hubs where they essentially task them with uh, being responsible for dismantling oppression, right? So they offset the labor of the hard work and responsibility that they have. And they also, and the people who actually have the power and they just give it to all the black people. And like, my whole thing is 
I'm not I'm not tripping on the game because that's the game we live in a capitalist society. But if you're going to do that to us, you got to pay us extra. You got to you got to right. pay us. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Right. And so the capitalism piece is what I where I thought you were going to go mm. is to say that they take these groups and they say, OK, how can we sell more whatever to black folks? Right. And so they're, they're yes, <laughs> they do that, too. That's right. True. So, so and, they, and they we're not they're now called business resource groups. Right. That's they used right. to be employee resources. And the business part of it is we want you to help us to uh, market to your your folks. Right. And so what 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 will your folks want? How do we communicate um, to your folks? And again, that's that's extra. That's additional. You're you're taking my intellectual, you know, capital, my, my knowledge and you're using it. Um, for your gain and and you're not paying me extra for that and i'm probably i'm probably being underpaid in the first place (laughs) yo yes agreed and it's it's wild it's wild because when you think about just all of like the those the thought that thought leadership is it's worth Mm -hmm. so much money and you're just getting it for free like you're getting it for free right and that exactly is, and just the exploitative nature of that is um right. it's infuriating yeah. so yeah you're right i mean there are a lot of us there are a lot of us now who like we're just we're not playing i'm not playing no more i mean i even i gave feedback so i you know so at my job this is a little this is some time ago but we were doing some work around because you know this this whole jig is not new like it's just it just like happens to be really heightened right now as we've already talked about but I remember I was having a conversation with somebody and I had presented something and they were like, oh, I'm about to I've I've, I've already shared this with so and so. And I said, wait a second. So you you took my work and shared it somewhere else. And like I was already, you know, this was at a job. So I wasn't this was not my full time job. Like I wasn't getting paid. So I did this. And they were like, I was like, look, I said, I recognize that y'all not going to pay me like y'all not going to literally add to my paycheck today. I said, the least you can do is introduce me to the circles where you're that you're presenting this content to and, and give me uh, the opportunity to present my own work like that's the least you could do is give me credit it's since you're not gonna pay but it's just you know I, th- I just think that um just part of like this this really white supremacy at work is um exploiting black labor like it's just it's just it's it's part and parcel of like this work which i think ties back into the reality of black fatigue you know what i mean Right, exactly. And we're tired of it. We see it. We know that it's happening. Um, sometimes we're hard pressed to, you know, to really do anything about it. But the extra labor that you had to go through, the extra burden that you had to go to, to even have that conversation, right? So well, wait a minute, what what, what you say? You did what? Right. You know, I mean, you know, that's, that's in itself fatiguing. That's in itself stressful, right? Because you're saying you did what? And, and so that's, you know, going to create um, some kind of physiological response, right? You're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. So there's some kind of emotional response that happens when those things happen. And, um, you know, that's, that's not healthy. It, it's, it's just not healthy. You know, we're, we're getting ready to do some stuff around uh, micro, uh, microaggressions, right? So in, in Black Fatigue, in the book, I, I have crossed out the, uh, I've crossed out micro. Every time I say it, I cross out micro because I don't think that the aggressions are micro. Um, I mean, because they, they're compounded, right? And so that's not the only thing that I'm sure happened to you in that particular week, right? In, right. in terms of something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but I know something else happened, right? Right. So, so these aggressions, they're not micro. Why are we calling them? Who, who named them micro anyway, right? Well, I know the person who, who named them. I got it in my book. 
But, but, but the point is, is that why, why are we calling these things micro? They're not micro, they're macro. I mean, because they are, um, they are fatiguing us, they are impacting our, our health. You know, um, the um, scientists who are now saying that it's racism that creates poor health outcomes, not race, but racism, um, the continued exposure to racism gets into our cellular system, something called epigenetics. I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to go far into this. But it, and it gets passed down from generation to generation. So the stress that, that happens gets into our cellular system and it causes all sorts of maladies and then it gets passed down generation you know, to, to generation. And that's about racism. That's about um, all of the things, you know, we have to be fearful. You know, we talk, Robin D'Angelo talks about um, white fragility. I want to talk about black fragility. I think mm. black folk are the ones who are fragile. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we're, we're the ones who, you know, you don't know if your loved one's going to come home, right? You don't know if you can go to this place and be safe, right? Yeah. And so the vulnerability of, of, of black people in just in, in space. I mean, we, we heard, what was it a couple of weeks ago? Where, where was it? It was in, in Indiana. This man was almost lynched. He was in the, in the park. In almost the, in the- I'm almost lynched. I'm just like, my God, like that was <laughs> off. I just like, like, you, like, think about like, just think about that. Like that is wild. So, so I'm over here just scrolling on Twitter, minding my own business. I'm holding my daughter Emery in my arms. And I just happened just to happen to come upon this black man being accosted by a bunch of white people trying to get lynched in the woods. Like, in how is woods. that possible in 2020? He's going to the lake with friends and white friends, right? And white friends. I just, right. but no, right. but you're 100% right. Is that so we're fragile, right? We are we're fragile. I, I do think, I, I do think, you know, and so here's the thing. I think it's it's become really popular. And I'm not saying all the takes are unwarranted, are, um, are unwarranted. I think it's like just highly, highly, highly relevant content, and we're like we we live in a you know content creation is is king or queen. So you know a lot of these pieces about Robin D'Angelo, I think are I don't think are really fair, but I do think there's some there's but there's little bits and pieces of things. I'm like okay, I I can res- I respect that right. So like one thing about that language fragility is that and I and I think Brittany Harris talked about that. So talked about she did. she did. She just talked about that was right. like the language itself kind of hints to there being some type of like, you know, inherent gentleness or like we need to handle it with care, but it's like the reality is right. black folks, black and brown people have been crushed and broken and broken and broken and broken and broken and broken over and over in this country. Like the fact that we're still alive right. is a miracle, right? right. And so um, when I think about that, when I think about like, when I think about fragile, I think about something again, that's been like, you know, broken and pieced back together. And so, and I, I'm not saying that we're a broken people. Don't get me wrong. No, no. Um, cause we're, 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 we are a strong and resilient people, but like, but, but that, that survivorship that we've had that, that to like to continue on and to thrive in, in a lot of different areas that comes out of, that's come at a collective cost. And I exactly, and I don't think that I don't think that we talk about that enough. I mean, I, I'll give a I'll give a personal example. So, like, um, when I was fourteen, uh, my dad and I were pulled over by the police. Um, we were pulled over by the police, and guns were were put. Up. I had a gun put to my head. Lo- of course, it was loaded, cocked, everything right, and um, guns put to my dad's head. I'm in front of our home, in a very white suburban um, neighborhood, and. 
you know, I never went to counseling. I never went to counseling for that until earlier this year in January, because um, some other things happened. Um, just some like other racialized traumas that I've, I've I experienced and had that conversation. And I realized, you know, since I was 14, every time, every time, it doesn't matter what the context is that I see a policeman, I, I tense up and think about like that. Like, so every, so there's policemen everywhere. Like I had a project where um, there was a policeman at the front of the, in the lobby in front of the, I had to, and I had to see them every single And every single time I saw them, I got scared, but like, but it was like a, you know, it was like a flash, like a snap, snap moment. And then I, and then I had I let it go because it's like oh you know I just yeah but you, but that automatic reaction that still c- creates you know and again I'm not a doctor but the fight or flight kind of a thing you know, right and that yeah it it impacts you physiologically not it's, only psychologically but physiologically too. and that was something that my psychiatrist like we talked about it he was like look he's like you know even he's like even if he's like he's like there's he's like your body is still responding to things even if you don't acknowledge it so you not acknowledge exactly you know like you not acknowledging something doesn't change the right. fact that your body has a physiological response so like when you say oh i can't really sleep or i'm having panic attacks da, 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 you start just asking me all these questions i'm like well dang wait a second i didn't i guess i didn't really you think- did- Yes, and you don't associate it with, and that's what I talk about in my book. So the book is for both black pe- people and white people. I, I, I keep saying the book is more for white people, you know, to t- help them understand why black folks are fatigued. Sure. But it's for black people as well because we don't even recognize sometimes we don't ass- we don't make the association, right? right? We know again, we know we can't sleep, you know, we know we have panic attack, but we're not necessarily relating that to racism. We're not necessarily relating that to to um, you know to this incident that happened when you were 14 you know years old uh which may be manifesting in, in all sorts of other places this thing of resilience so so i have a thing about resilience too so we all talk about yeah we're, we're resilient you know we need to be resilient however that's not the end game because resilience means you bounce back right you bounce. so the, the right. resilience doesn't mean that we're fixing the system doesn't mean that we're fixing what caused you need to be resilient in the first place and so i i reject resilience as as the as the end mm. game just just be resilient. Just just bounce back. Just get over because it's basically saying you need to get over it, right? Right, right. It's not going. It's not going to change. But and you need to figure out a way to, to deal with it. So all of those folks who are talking about you know healing and and doing all of those you know self care, believe me, I believe in it. So don't don't get me wrong. I, I believe that we have to do that. We have to do that to survive and and to thrive. Uh, however, I have a sense that a lot of the white folks in in power, you know, and because they're they're promoting this resilience thing in the corporate world now is that it's all about resilience. It's all about bouncing back. You're addressing the symptoms when you do resilience. You are not addressing the root of the problem. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, in irrespect, so, you know, white supremacy can be um, practiced by anybody, just like you can um, internalize and practice white supremacy. You can internalize and practice uh, patriarchy is if you're sitting, you're telling a bunch of like historically marginalized people, like or you're just you're just preaching on the the concept of bouncing back, and you're not talking about dismantling systems. You and you are by some very degree, you're supporting white supremacy because exactly. because because like and I'm that's really where my heart is today. Is like I so I read the like I so we, I kind of alluded to the Howard Ross piece. I'm like it's I'm bringing it up again because it's hyper relevant because I just saw it and it's um, it's making the way. So so I don't agree with the intention of the article. I, I think the intention of the article is bad. I do think that there was something that was said in there that was really interesting, which was that there was a lot like in the methodology of working again. This was this clearly was a hit job. Like the post was wild, inflammatory, and there were elements of it that caught my eye. So like there was something about essentially a hyper focus on like individual behaviors. Right. So 
it was like, you know, white people at the at your job, y'all need to struggle with and wrestle with your complicitness in white supre- white supremacy and understand that virtually every white person is racist. And it's like it's like there there's there's language and there's there's some there's some discussion we can have about that. But if we just start talking and we start pitting like um, so if you talk about like a class level, you start just pitting like the the workers against each other and we're not having a conversation about the systems at large. Like I, I'm more so interested in the systems like you pit me pitting you pitting like Bob against Kendrick, um, who both work in the same department is just not it's just not productive. Like we can have a conversation about like we can have those discussions. But if that's where your your work stops and starts, then like, I mean, you're not. You you really actually you created a lot more harm than you have solutions. And so I think the real work, which is scary, because what we're talking about now is challenging the people who actually can control whether we live or die because they control if we can actually make any money is really like the powers that be that create these systems and structures that even allow for these problems to persist. And so like that's the. That's what I'm really interested in, Mary Francis, like in this next phase of work is like getting out of still having the conversation where we need to, but really looking at like ecosystems. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, what I want to say about that is that, um, you know, everybody's talking about allies today. We need more allies. We need allies. So allies are not necessarily in a position of power to change systems. Allies can be helpful at the interpersonal level, right? They can they can speak up, um, you know, unless an ally is also what I call a power broker. And so I'm, I'm calling for power brokers, right? Those people who are in power, if you look up what power broker means, mm. it means somebody who can influence systems and can influence change, right? Mm-hmm. So a- allies oftentimes in the corporate world are individual contributors who are just saying, hey, you know, I really want to be an ally. You know, what can I do to be, what can I do to be an ally? We need power brokers. We need people in power who are willing to change the systems. That's who can change systems. And we've seen that happen over the last six weeks where, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, defunding police departments. They're talking about, uh, you know, somebody just made a decision as a corporation. We're going, we're going to have Juneteenth as, the, you know, as a holiday. <laughs> Not that I think that, that I, I don't think that's going to change any kind of system, right? Having at all, right? However, you can you can decide to change things that will impact the system. For example, you can decide that you will not have in inequities in pay. I mean, that's easy to fix. That's right. that's a tangible something easy to fix. We do a lot of audit work at the Winters Group, and so just did a big audit for for a, a corporation, and we looked at performance evaluations. And so, why is it? that black people's performance evaluations is clustered in the in the three on a five point scale, right? right. Disproportionately clustered in three, right? So so you've got twelve percent black people in the organization and the forty forty percent of the black people have, have three ratings versus um, you know, uh, a disproportion in the other way for white people, right? You've got yeah, you've got sixty percent white people in the corporation and eighty percent of the white people have five ratings, right? So what's that about, right? So, you know, um, is it that Black people are inherently less likely to perform well, right? We we know that that's not true. So interrogating the system and and you know and the data to look at, you know, so why in why in 36 years um, is it that there, there aren't black people in leadership roles? In 1984, there was a headline in the Wall Street Journal that said um, executive suite elusive for black people. 
uh, seven months ago, December 2019, a study was done and the exact same headline, right? I mean, right. those are things that are tangible and can be fixed in the system if you want to fix them. People have power in corporations. The CEO has power. And we're seeing how our power is abused in the government, right? right. Presidents have, have power. Um, and um, it, it, so that's where the systems, from my perspective, that's where the systems has to be changed. Allies are not going to change systems unless allies happen to also be power brokers, unless they also happen to be in power. So it's the people in power who have to say, we're not going to have these, we're not going to have these systems that have these outcomes. So I talk about reverse engineering. I don't even know if I'm using it right. But, but the point is, is here's, here's the outcome, right? We had this outcome. Now let's go back and figure out how do you got it. Let me give you an example. So we did an yeah. audit for an organization a number of years ago. They had a goal. Their goal was that they wanted to put more women into leadership roles. This is a financial institution. So they had 100 openings that particular year. Uh, they, they hired 100 people from the outside that particular year. They hired one woman into leadership in, if, of the 100 that they hired. So what's that about, right? So we looked yeah. at women. Women applied at the same rate as men, right? So they had a lot of applications. And so... I said, what we need to do is we need to backtrack and look at every single application that came in from a woman. We need to understand what, what happened with that application. We, look, we need to look at interviewer notes to see how the interviewer talked about women, the women who applied. They talked, you know, if, if the women, woman did get an interview and what they said about the men. And so what you could clearly see that they, what they said about women were more about their um, attributes of, of personality. They were nice and da, 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 da. Mm. What, what they said more about men was that uh, was more about their competency for, for, for the job. And so, you know, I mean, it, to me, you can interrogate systems pretty easily if you if you want to. Does it take time? Yes, it takes time. So now you've got to go back and then you've got to look at who are the people who interviewed these women, right? right, right. And why did they say this about these women who, who, you know, when you look at their resume, they've got the same credentials as the man. You, you told us that you had a goal of putting more women into leadership. Right, <laughs> we didn't tell right. you that, that was your goal. You said it was your goal. Right. And then you you didn't reach the goal, and now you go sit back and everybody said, "Oh, we didn't reach the goal." To me, this is ludicrous. If you want to change systems, you can. It's not hard to change systems. You just have to have the will, um, because you have the skill. I mean, you look at your data and you interrogate that data, and then you and then you make and then you make those changes. You're just saying that's not going to happen in this system anymore. We're not going to have this disproportionality in this system anymore. Right? right? You say it, declare it, and you do it. And and you know, yeah. anyway, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> no, no, don't stop. <laughs> no, because I know I just I I I just get um, I get frustrated because you know when organizations want to change a manufacturing system as an example, right? When they want to say, oh, this system is um, obsolete or this system is not effective anymore, they know what to do to change the operating system, right? They know what to do. They know how to do that. But why don't they know how to change racist systems, white supremacy systems? And I, going back to the, our, um, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this of this conversation, is they don't want to. Right. They don't. They don't have the incentive to do so. Why would you want to give up power and privilege? You know, we talk about you know giving classes and having classes on power and privilege. When we tell people that they have power and privilege, what I, if I was a white person, I'd be sitting there saying, "Oh, okay, that's cool." <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Right. I'm really thankful that you were able to come on Living Corporate today. I mean, you've dropped a lot of gems, but I want to give you at least space to just do any parting words or shout outs you have before we go. 
All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. I've always enjoyed the conversations with you, but um, just want to um, invite folks to check out my new book, Inclusive Conversations, Fostering Equity, Empathy, and Belonging Across Difference. I talk about power a lot in that book and, and how power dynamics get in the way of having uh, having equitable conversations. And you're not having inclusive conversations if they're not equitable. Um, and then I invite you to check out, uh, both of these uh, books are uh, ready for pre-order on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Um, black Fatigue, How Racism Erodes the Mind, uh, Body, and Spirit. And with that one, I say, I want black folks to read it, but I also want you, when, when white folks ask you to be their teacher, I want you to say, hey, here's a great book that can, get, that can support you. I can't do it, but this book will uh, give you some gems about why black people are fatigued and what you can do to support being an anti-racist, what you can do to support being a power broker, being an ally. I love it. I love it. Y'all, this has been Zach. We live in corporate. You know what we do every single week. We have this content. Now, look again, every listener is a first time listener. So, you know that we have uh, three episodes a week. Right. So we have on Tuesdays, we have like these longer form, you know, real talk conversations on Thursdays. We have Tristan's tips. That's like our professional coach, uh, Tristan Layfield does, like you know, like two minute blurbs, really poignant, topical, relevant career tips for you. And then on Saturday, we switch it up and we either have the link up with Letitia or we have see it to be with MC Wanniger link up with Letitia is like a longer form career advice um, episode. You're talking about maybe like 15 minutes or mid form, right? It's like not that long. And then ABC Wanniger see it to be it is like a real technical deep dive um, into some black or brown professionals job and how they do their job and how they exist in their job, considering um, they're all of their identity. Right. So really cool content. I'm very proud of this team. Thank you so much. Thank you to Mary Francis Winter. Shout out to the winners group. Make sure you check out all the links in the show notes. Um, the pre-orders for those books are going to be in there. Make sure you um, you check check them out. If you are an organization that and frankly, all of y'all need it help when it comes to making your workplaces more equitable. The winners group is the space for y'all. So make sure you check out the content in the show notes. We got bitlies on the links so we can track to see when y'all clicking. So I'm going to be looking at y'all. I'm looking at you because I know you're listening to this right now. You're driving in your fancy car, right? Or you're taking a walk in the middle of the daytime while your team is working really hard. and You're trying to listen to something real quick on the low. Listen here. I know you listen to this. Make sure you check out the links. Okay. Check it out. Till next time, y'all. This has been Zach. You've been listening to Mary Frances Winter, CEO, founder of the Winners Group. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.